Hello, and welcome to the Reach or Miss Show, the podcast for the customer-focused entrepreneur, where Hayut Yogev speaks with entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs about reaching or missing the critical point of approaching the right customer with the right message at the right time and place. The point where business success starts. And here is your host, Hayut Yogev. Rich or Miss, episode 145. Hey, my riches, how are you? This is Hayut. Today, I'm especially excited about this episode. I don't know how many of you remember, but there were a few of my interviewees, like Jeff Bullis and Douglas Burdett and some other very successful entrepreneurs that said the book that influenced them most to succeed in their entrepreneurial journey was David Meerman Scott's book, The New Rules of Marketing and PR, that was published on 2007. When I heard their stories, I was truly sorry that I didn't have the chance to read this book many years earlier. But I didn't. I only joined the entrepreneurial online journey in um, March 2017 when I launched my podcast. I read this book later, but I remember that I was really sorry I couldn't read it then. It seems like this book had a very clear view and vision of the new opportunities, and there were quite many successful entrepreneurs that took advantage and used this book to change their businesses and their entrepreneurships towards the online and social media edge that we had since then. So you must understand how excited I was when David Meerman Scott told me that his new book that he wrote with his daughter, Rayco Scott, is about to publish on January 7th. The book called Phanocracy, How to Turn Fans into Customers and Customers into Fans. I'm just in the middle of reading it, but this book is marking the new way to communicate with our customers. I think this is another step of this new way of looking at our customers and winning this very tough battle that we are having today. Let me introduce my guest today, David Meerman Scott. David Meerman Scott spotted the real-time marketing revolution in its infancy and wrote five books about it, including The New Rules of Marketing and PR, with more than 400,000 copies sold in English and available in 29 languages, from Albanian to Vietnamese. Now, David says the pendulum has swung too far in the direction of superficial online communications. Techie worry and bot worry people are hungry for true human connection. Organizations have learned to win by developing what David calls a fandocracy, tapping into the mindset that relationships with customers are more important than the products they sell to them. He is a massive live music fan, 
having been in 790 live shows since he was 15 years old, is passionate about the Apollo Lunar Program, and he loves to surf but isn't very good at it. Let's welcome David Meerman Scott. David Meerman Scott, what a pleasure to have you here. Hi. Hey, it's so great to be with you. Thank you very much for having me on. It's a pleasure, and I've been waiting for this conversation since the first time I heard Jeff Bullis, and he was one of my first interviewees, talking about your book as something that really changed his world or his professional world. So, And then I heard it from some other successful entrepreneurs, so I'm so excited towards this interview. Thank you. Yeah, me too. And it's very, I'm, I'm honored that Jeff and others say that about me. It's very kind of them. Um, I was lucky enough to have seen the online revolution a long time before other people did and started writing and speaking about how we can reach people through the web and reach people through social media. And I started doing that more than 15 years ago. So I was quite early in that revolution. But it's very kind of people to say that um, I influenced them. I appreciate that. <laughs> and as I told you, when I heard it, I was a bit sorry that I didn't read it then. So... <laughs> I'm so excited because I know you told me that now a new book is going to come out and I hope we will hear a lot about it this time because I'm going to be among the first to buy it. Oh, so, thank uh, you so much. Yeah. No, so thank exciting. you for writing so, it. So exciting. So exciting. And I just shared with my audience what you've done until now, and I would like you to share with us what are you doing and most passionate about today, and where are you heading? So what I've been doing over the last five years is thinking very, very deeply about what's coming next after the social media and real-time revolution. And... The reason I've been thinking about this so deeply is because The New Rules of Marketing and PR is the book that I'm best known for. And that book originally came out in 2007. It's now in the sixth edition, and it's published in 29 languages. People remember that they had read a long time ago. So um, my book, The New Rules of Marketing and PR, has, has kind of influenced a lot of people, but also... It's led to an online world that I think is becoming more polarized. Okay. It's becoming a place where people are just trying to send yet another email spam. They're trying to push their content out in inappropriate ways. Um, there's even inappropriate use of artificial intelligence. And You know, I was on a site recently, and I didn't even realize until a couple of minutes that I was talking to a robot. Oh. And, and then in the political world, like in, in my country and in other countries too, you know, the political discourse online has become so nasty and mean, even from the president of the United States. So what I recognized is that the pendulum has swung too far in the direction of superficial online communications. But people are hungry, hungry 
for a true human connection. And so I've been thinking deeply and writing and researching around how people can have a much more human connection with other people and how businesses can have a much more human connection with their customers. I must ask, what do you mean by more human? Isn't any connection between two human beings is human? I don't think so, because I think when a company deploys artificial intelligence and pretends that there's a human that you're mm -hmm. talking to, or when a company takes an email and puts a thousand or ten thousand or a hundred thousand email addresses into a single email, or when people are just being mean and nasty, that that's not human. That's not um, a powerful mm. connection. Um, that's just doing something to try to sell a product or a service. And we don't want to be sold in that way. And so I think the organizations that are going to be successful into 2020 and beyond are the ones who can truly understand how to reach people in a much more, um, you know, I call it a way of that they're growing fans of their customers. Yeah, I need to and, understand that, yeah. And so this idea came about um, because five years ago, as I was saying, I was so focused on the idea that superficial online communications was not working for, for, for many people anymore. But at the same time, I was thinking that there are so many organizations that I'm truly a fan of. For example, I love live music and mm -hmm. I go to many live music concerts. I've actually been to um, nearly 800 live music wow. concerts in my life. Wow. 786, exactly. <laughs> uh, including, I know, I count them. I have a spreadsheet, <laughs> an Excel spreadsheet. I keep them all in. Um, including, I've been to 75 Grateful yeah, Dead concerts. Wow. And so I was thinking about how much of a fan I am of the Grateful Dead. And I said to my daughter, Reiko, she was 21 at the time. She's now 26 years old. And I said, Reiko, it's crazy that I've been to 75 Grateful Dead concerts. I'm <laughs> such a fan. <laughs> it and is crazy said, if you ask me. Okay? It is. I know it, it's crazy in one way. But she said, Daddy, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Harry Potter mm -hmm. in the same way. Uh, she told me, uh, which I knew, that she'd read every single Harry Potter book multiple times. She's seen every Harry Potter movie multiple times. She went to um, Florida to go to the Wizarding World of Harry Potter theme park. And she went to London to True. go to the Harry <laughs> Potter studios. But not only that, she wrote a 90,000-word alternative ending book to the Harry Potter series and posted it for free on a fan right. fiction site. And it's been downloaded thousands of times and hundreds of people have commented on it. So what we recognized is that we're both big fans of the things that we love. And when we spoke with people around the world, it's many, many people told us similar stories that there were fans of something, of a sports team, or of um, classic cars, or of bird watching, or 
of um, of a different music artist, or there's everybody seems to have something that they're incredibly passionate about. And many people are incredibly passionate about the companies that treat them well, whatever company that might be, the organizations that treat them as a human being. And so that's what led to us writing the book that turned into um, fanocracy, turning fans into customers and customers into fans. I wrote that with my daughter. I must say that um, the verse verse yeah, is very interesting, and I would like to hear more about that. And the other thing is I can easily understand and identify with the idea of uh, being a fan Oh, okay, not with a grateful dad, but I can understand what you're talking yeah. about. No, I'm, I'm just joking. <laughs> or Harry Potter, which is easier for me, or a good um, musical or some bands or some books or some authors. Although it's not as easy with companies, isn't it? So what yes. should a company do in order to really make or attract these fans? So um, there's a number of different prescriptions that we identified by speaking to thousands of people about what they're a fan of and speaking to people who work at hundreds of companies about how they've built fans. And I'll give you some examples in a moment. But what was really interesting about writing the book with my daughter, Reiko, was, of course, she's a woman, I'm a man. Of course, I'm much older than she is. Um, but she's also mixed race. My wife is Japanese, and she's a scientist. She did a neuroscience degree at Columbia University, and she's now in her final wow. year of medical school. So she has different fandoms than me, but she also understands fandom from the perspective of what's happening in your brain, wow. the neuroscience aspect. And we can talk about that in a moment. But... So the idea of companies and developing fans, we learned that fandom is for any kind of organization. It's not just for a rock star or a sports star or an actor. It's for any organization. For example, when I start my presentations, I ask the audience, who loves auto insurance? <laughs> And nobody's, nobody yeah. raises their hand. A lot of people laugh because what a stupid question. Nobody likes auto <laughs> insurance. Um, and I was interviewing the CEO of an auto insurance company. His name is Mikhail Haggerty. And the insurance company is Haggerty Insurance. They're an insurance company that insures classic cars. Okay. So cars, collectors. Collectors, okay. Yeah. And so Mikhail Haggerty said to me, David, everybody hates the industry that I'm in. Everybody hates insurance. So I couldn't sell insurance in the way that everyone else is selling insurance. I had to do something different. So I specifically went out and cultivated fans of my business. So what Mikhail Haggerty does is he and his team go to classic car events all over the United States, over a hundred different events wow. his team goes to. And at the events, they do educational seminars about 
the things that you need to understand about classic insuring classic cars, how to value a classic car, how to take care of a classic car, all kinds of different things. And those are really well attended and people love to interact with the uh, people who work at Haggerty Insurance. Mm. The second thing they did was create some great online content. Um, And so, for example, they have a fabulous YouTube channel with 780,000 subscribers. They're an insurance company. They are an insurance company. Right? With thousands of subscribers. They have an auto club. And it has 600,000 members of their of their auto club. And they have so many people who are fans of Haggerty Insurance. And it's been fabulously successful for them because they're the fastest growing auto insurance company in the United States. They'll grow by 200,000 new customers in this wow. coming year. And something else thinking about fandom around Haggerty Insurance is that people love to wear a t-shirt or a hat with the logo of the thing that they're a fan of. And what we learned as we were looking around over five years is that people happily wear a logo t-shirt or a logo hat or put a logo sticker on their computer or put a logo sticker on their car even. And some people even put a logo tattoo on their body because they love working with a particular company. And that's often a business like Haggerty Insurance. People wear the t-shirt or the ball cap with Haggerty Insurance on it. I think it, it is connected to everything that we are experienced today with social media because actually what they did, except of really um, going to this fans event, which was very clever, they really gave value for free. Yes, they gave yes, a lot exactly. of content. And I think these are the two main things that actually um, creates fans and also creates customers. That's exactly right. And one of the things, and it's actually one of the chapters in Fanocracy is uh, we titled the chapter, Give More Than You Have mm-hmm. To. Uh, because um, you're right, both online through social media and websites, as well as in person, a lot of people try to give something away, but they expect something in return. And I'll give you a great example of that, especially B2B companies um, try to have a, a way of giving something away where they require that you give an email address first. Okay. So typically that takes the form of a company makes a white yeah. paper or an ebook. They put it on their website and the only way you can download it is if you give your email address first. The problem with that is it is exactly the wrong way to build fans because when you require somebody to give you their email address, it's an adversarial relationship. You're saying to them, I'm not going to give you something until you give me something first. And so what Haggerty Insurance does and what a lot of other companies do is something completely different. They give away something for free with no expectation whatsoever of something in return. And we humans are hardwired. It's in our brains. 
It's something that um, is part of our DNA that when we're given a gift and there's no expectation of something in return, we have a slight feeling of obligation that becomes a powerful tool. But if you say to someone, give us your email address and we'll give you a white paper, that feeling of obligation completely goes away and you actually feel like you've given something up, almost like your money. So the first idea to be thinking about if you want to develop fans is make a whole bunch of great things free. And I want to give you one more example. Sometimes people say to me, but David, you know, my business is not conducive to giving away something. You know, giving away a white paper doesn't make sense or going to car shows. That's not that's not the kind of business we run. And I love the example of Duracell batteries. Okay. So um, Duracell is a battery company. Hmm. And a ba- batteries are the ultimate commodity, right. right? I worked um, with the Energizer for a few years, yeah. <laughs> oh, you yes, did? I oh, did. how interesting. So you know, so you know this market really, really <laughs> well. Um, and Duracell has a really great program called Power okay. Forward. The Power Forward program is designed to give away free batteries to people who are suffering from power outages due to a natural disaster. So a hurricane or a flood or a fire or a tornado or a bad snowstorm, something that knocks out the power for a long time, the most important thing in a power outage is trying to get power back, perhaps a flashlight or a radio or your smartphone or your computer. So what Duracell does is they have a fleet of Hmm. trucks And they bring the trucks to the place where the power outage happens, and they give away free batteries. Now, this is remarkable because when batteries are in the most demand is during Mm -hmm. a power outage. And and that's when they, they sell the most batteries is when people need that flashlight. And Duracell, rather than try to sell those batteries, gives them away for free. And for example, when Hurricane Maria hit in the Puerto Rico a couple of years ago, uh, they actually airlifted the power forward trucks on U.S. Air Force planes and brought them to Puerto Rico. And they were on the ground giving away hundreds of thousands of free batteries. Now, what that does is it develops fans because people remember that when they needed that flashlight, Duracell was there giving them free batteries, and they're so excited about that. I just love that. that because, you know, everybody is teaching how to take emails in return to something that you are giving. I love yes. that example. I, I want to ask you, you know, this, uh, this podcast is all about entrepreneurs, and if you take this book and this fans method that you are talking about, What would be the best advice that you can give an entrepreneur regarding their customer focus or customer approach? I have two that are very, very important for entrepreneurs. And we spoke with many entrepreneurs about how they've developed fans. And the two things are are these. The first one is that 
you need to understand deeply the people that you're trying to reach, your potential customers. And I really learned this deeply by having my daughter, Reiko, be my co-author on this book. She's an expert in a concept called narrative okay. medicine. It's something that was developed at Columbia University where she did her undergraduate degree. And she took some courses in narrative medicine. She's now become an expert. She actually teaches wow. narrative medicine at Boston University School of Medicine. The idea of narrative medicine is that if you want to become a good doctor, you have to understand the entire patient and that patient's story, not just the symptoms of mm. their disease. Because there's things going on with a patient that if you understand their story, you can do better treatment. However, the medical system in most countries, certainly in my country, is set up to only focus on the symptoms. You know, what is your blood pressure? What is, um, you know, what is going on with um, your particular symptoms of your disease? And not focusing on the story of the patient's life. And so um, Reiko tells us um, in the book a story about Jeremy, a patient she worked with. Jeremy uh, had a blood cancer. And uh, Reiko started to talk with him deeply about what is his life like? What does he love to do? And it turns out Jeremy was okay. an artist. And the most important thing in his life, an amateur artist, the most important thing in his life is being able to do his art. And what Jeremy told Reiko was that everything in his treatment needs to be focused on making sure that he can do his art for mm -hmm. as long as possible. He doesn't want to be just kept alive for the sake of being kept alive in a hospital bed. He wants to be able to do his art. And that was a really important moment in his treatment ideas because once she understood that, the treatment would be very different than just keeping him alive in a sure. hospital bed. And so the idea of understanding very deeply the people you're trying to reach, the customers that you want to work with, is an essential form of building fans and being an entrepreneur. And uh, I mentioned this earlier, but I want to mention it again. Um, my daughter is um, half Japanese. Uh, she is a woman, obviously. She's much younger than me. She's a millennial. I'm a baby boomer. And... And so millennial women have a very different way of interacting with the world than middle-aged men. And so if I'm an entrepreneur and I'm a middle-aged man, I might make the wrong choices about how to reach millennials. So it's really important to understand the people yeah. you're trying to reach. The second concept that's really important for entrepreneurs is a surprising one, and it comes from neuroscience. And that is that the closer you get to your customers, the more powerful the human emotion. So this is something that's hardwired in all humans, that we um, have very positive emotions the closer we get to somebody else. So if we trust that person and we're friends with that person or, they, or we work with that person, it can be a very powerful positive emotion. However, if we don't know that person, so for example, in a crowded elevator, that can be a very mm. negative emotion. And so it turns out there's several zones of influence. 
the first zone of influence is 20 feet or further away. And when you're 20 feet or further away from another human, you know that those other people are there, but you don't really pay much attention to them. However, our brains start to track people who get within 20 feet of us, and that's called the personal zone. So it becomes personal when people are within 20 feet of us, and even more so between a foot and a half and four feet. That's kind of cocktail party distance. And so our brains are wired to be able to make much more positive connections the closer we get to somebody. And so this is, was important for our survival because if somebody was a danger and they got close to us, we had to decide whether we were going to fight or, or run away. And it's also important to survival because we want to be close to those people that we are friends with or who we love. And so when you have the ability to get close to your customers, physically close okay. to your customers, you develop a much more positive human connection with them because of this idea of proximity that comes from neuroscience. So actually what you are telling us here is that we should always look also for the physical connection, like the live yes. events. You know, Mike yes. Stelzner talked about that. He's the king of social media with Social Media Examiner. But uh, what he is really proud of is the, the conference that he established. And he said that this is the most important thing. And it's funny because I wanted to ask you, how would you take this rule to the social media or to the digital world? And what you are saying is that the digital world is probably not enough. Well, um, there's two things. The first thing is that, and, and I know Michael as well, it, it's very interesting that one of the most important things for digital marketing is conferences, physical conferences where people learn. It seems surprising, doesn't it? It is. Um, and, but the reason, it doesn't surprise me because doing the research for my book, Fanocracy, we recognized that neuroscience is, science was telling us that those physical connections are incredibly important. So even though we can learn online, we want to be able to be together with like-minded people. The reason I love going to Grateful Dead concerts is not only the music, but to be with other Grateful Dead fans, people that I like. The reason my daughter loves Harry Potter is she loves the books, of course, but she likes to be able to talk about Harry Potter with other people who are fans sure. of Harry Potter. And so, yes, actually getting physically close to people is really powerful. So can you have lunch with your client? Can you have a conference for your clients? Can you go to a conference that someone else is putting on and meet people there? However, it does get really interesting in the digital world for another neuroscience reason, and that comes from a concept called mirror neurons. Mirror neurons are the part of our brain that fire when we see or hear somebody doing something. So if I do something, for example, take a bite yeah. of a lemon, I can feel in my mouth, I can feel the tartness of that lemon, my eyes scrunch mm -hmm. up, 
my mouth kind of puckers and it's a very powerful thing going on in my brain because I take a bite right. of a lemon. But you know, but what's interesting is that you may have even tasted that lemon a little bit in your brain too, just by me talking mm. about it. Or if, if we were near each other and you saw me take that bite of the lemon, then that could also trigger in your brain the same reaction as if you were taking a bite of a lemon. That's why if you watch a movie and it's a scary movie, you feel scared in the same mm. physical way even though, even though right. you're not in danger. And so it also explains why we feel we personally know a movie star. We've never met that movie star, but our brain tells us because we see them on a screen that we know them. So here's where it's important for digital communications. If you create a series of videos or photographs where you put yourself in close physical proximity using that, those videos and those photographs with other people, their brain fires in the same way as if you are physically close to them. So for example, a, a video series where it looks like you're within four feet of somebody. In other words, you have a close-up angle of you personally talking directly to the yeah. camera and you talk about something that's helpful as part of your video series, that can be very powerful emotionally because people feel as if they're talking physically to you and you're, as if you're in the same room, as if you're like in a cocktail party having a, a glass of wine with them. And so when thinking about social media and digital communications, using photographs and video is really important. Then there's one more thought around that, and that is the hmm. selfie. So selfies have become really popular all over sure. the world. Um, and it's interesting to me that um, a selfie is taken with your hand, which means the photograph is taken within four feet of uh, the camera because that's how long your arm is. Okay. And so the, one of the reasons why selfies have become so popular is because that through mirror neurons is as if somebody is looking at you physically. Okay. And so that kind of image generally gets way more action and sharing on social media than a photograph that's taken far away or a photograph of a building or something that's not a person. So all of these are reasons why if you use video and photographs of people and you crop those videos and photos of people as if you're in their personal space within about four feet, that can be a very powerful way to build fans for your business as an entrepreneur. And all entrepreneurs, including me, including you, can use video and photographs in Must this way. Must do, and uh, not to mention Facebook Lives or LinkedIn Live, which is yes, even stronger. Exactly. And now I know you have a lot of successes, and it seems like you're going to have a new one. However, before I'll ask you about the successes, actually, before um, I'll go to this issue, I want to ask you, um, tell me, a bit about working with your daughter. I always thought what 
would be uh, working with my daughter that I thought might come to marketing. And she went to, uh, <laughs> to be a lawyer. Right, <laughs> right. Oh, it was so great. My daughter is going to be a doctor. She's doing her last year of medical school. So I thought she was a perfect um, person It's to write amazing. the book with. Uh, for all the reasons we talked about before. You know, she's a woman, she's young. She's, she's your daughter. Sci- How was that to work together? Well, we had, to, um, we had to really come up with how we were going to make it work. Um, for me, I had to, it was very important that I treated her as an equal. You know, growing up, I was the dad, she was the daughter. You know, I was nominally in charge, although I didn't force her to do things. But in the co-author of the book, we had to treat each other perfectly as equals. And I also had to recognize that she was going to tell me things I was doing wrong in the book, and she did. <laughs> um, and it, it's been a really great experience because we've learned a lot about each other. We've um, become closer as a result. Uh, and um, we've learned to trust each other in a really strong way because, you know, when you give somebody your writing and it's something you've worked really hard on and they're going to criticize your writing, you have to trust them that they're going to do that in such a way that it's uh, an important way to move the book forward, even though it might hurt your feelings that they're saying something bad about something that you wrote. Mm-hmm. So um, it was a great, situ- it was a great, really great situation for us to be able to write together. And now we're having fun figuring out how to market the book. And then, you know, it's out and, um, uh, and people are starting to read it soon. And that's really, really exciting for us. It is. I think us. it's enriching the relationships yeah. in, in, in so many ways. Although, as you said, it can also be dangerous. So I think... Uh, It can be dangerous, and because it could be dangerous, I think it makes it an even it made our relationship even stronger because we Beautiful. were able to work through that and now I would like to ask you before talking about your successes a bit more, I want to ask you to share with us or to tell us what is your biggest, most critical or one of the biggest failures with customers. And you can talk about something that really affected your entrepreneurial journey, but you can also take it to one of the things that you discovered through the book or that connected to, to things that you wrote in the book. I actually wanted to talk about something that happened to me 17 years ago, and that is I lost oh. my job. I was fired. Um, I, I was working for Thomson Reuters. And um, they said to me, "You know, we oh. don't want you to work here anymore." And um, I thought that was the most terrible thing that could It happen is. is losing your job. But it turn it turns out that that's what set me off on my entrepreneurial journey because that happened in early two thousand and two, and it was only four months after nine eleven, and there were no jobs. I could not find a new job. And so the idea of finding a new job wasn't working out, so I had to become an entrepreneur. But it turns out that that was the mm. best thing I ever did. 
was become an entrepreneur. And I, I've, I, I like to say to my friends, I've been unemployed <laughs> for 17 years. <laughs> um, and, um, and so the idea that a setback, uh, something that's, you know, kind of terrible, turned out to actually be something that was really and good. And if we are talking for a minute about the concept of fans and customers what can be dangerous or what threats we can have when building the relations with our customers as fans well one of the things that i recognize is that building fans is an incredibly powerful way to grow a business, but it's a long-term mm. endeavor. You don't say, I'm going to start building fans and all of a sudden have a whole bunch of fans tomorrow. You say, I'm going to do the things, and we wrote about all the things you, that you can do in our book, Fanocracy, to build fans, but you're not going to have 10,000 fans tomorrow or 1,000 fans or even 100 fans tomorrow. It's going to take time. And so a lot of people in business today are looking for something that's a short-term hit. You know, they're looking for um, uh, how can I get a bunch of connections on social media or how can I get a bunch of new customers this month or this quarter. And that's not going to be the approach of developing a whole set of fans for the long term. It's does not going to happen this month or this quarter. However, however, if you follow the prescriptions that we talked yeah. about in Fanocracy, you will, de- you will develop fans over time and they will grow to become the absolutely most important asset in your entire mm-hmm. entrepreneurial journey. And they will be the ones that will buy your new product when you bring it out. They will be the ones who will share with their friends the fact that they love to do business with you. They will be the people who will buy from you again and again. They will be the people who will share on social media that they love you. And that over the long term is incredibly powerful. So so I think it's important for entrepreneurs to remember that fandom And this concept I call fanocracy is all about having long-term, sustained, dramatic success. I think it's so important that you're saying that because, you know, I've been in the old traditional marketing and you could come with a very good campaign and launch a new product. We could do that. And today we can get to much deeper relationships with our customers but it won't happen overnight and this right. is a very big issue because something about entrepreneurship and especially startups expecting things to happen very 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 fast and big and i yes. think this is yes. one of the very big obstacle to so many entrepreneurs the trying to build their business and, you know, waiting for it to happen overnight. Yes, I think you're right. And there are many things you can do to grow a business short term, but to be incredibly successful, hugely successful over the long term, developing fans hmm. is one of the and, best uh, ways. David, now I would like you to share with us something about your success. And I know you've got 
quite a few, although I can say what helped me most, but, uh, but I'm waiting for Phenocracy. I think this is going to be my book in 2020. Oh, <laughs> I really am uh, looking that. forward, you know that, and, but I want you to share with us or to tell us the story of your greatest or one of the greatest or most significant success. As a result, perhaps, so the right so, focus or customer focus. So I have an ability to see patterns mm. in the universe that mm. other people don't see. Uh, it doesn't happen to me very often. There's three times that it was really, really significant, Please. though, and I want to share them briefly. The first time was about a little about 20 years ago, a little bit, little bit less than 20 years ago, the whole world was talking about internet marketing as mm. an advertising metaphor. So everyone was talking about internet marketing as you would buy an email list and send out an email list. And that's, that's like advertising. Or they would do banner ads. And that was like advertising. But I had worked in um, yeah. the news business and I saw internet marketing as publishing content. I saw it completely differently. I saw a pattern in the universe that other people weren't seeing. And so that led me to write my book, The New Rules of Marketing and PR, that came out in 2007 and was the very first book that talked about what we now might call content marketing or social media marketing or inbound marketing. There's different names for it. I wrote the first book on that subject. And it's um, arguably the most popular book on that subject. It sold 400,000 wow. copies in English and it's wow. in 29 languages. Um, the second time I saw patterns in the universe that other people weren't seeing was 10 years ago when um, a few things happened. Number one, um, Twitter started to really become popular. Twitter, of course, is a real-time social networking tool. If I tweet right now, the whole world sees it. The second thing is that around 10 years ago, Google started to index the search engine in real time. Prior to I that, I don't know if you remember this, a lot of people forget this, but about 10 years ago and, and later, if I wrote a blog post, Google would take two months or three months to index that. If you changed the page of your website, Google would take two months or three months to index that. And then they changed the way they do their algorithms. And um, all of a sudden, they were real time. If you change, if you wrote a blog post, it was indexed instantly. If you changed your website, it was indexed it was instantly. I didn't know it was different before. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, it was. Well, and it was. And so I saw those two things the real-time social networking around Twitter and other social networks, as well as Google being real-time, as being unbelievably important. And so I wrote a book on that subject. It's called Real-Time Marketing and PR. I also invented a concept called newsjacking. And newsjacking is um, the art and science of injecting your ideas into a breaking news story. And the idea of newsjacking has become so popular around the world that it's actually now listed in the Oxford wow. English Dictionary. And, it's, uh, I, and my name is in the dictionary as the inventor of newsjacking. The third time I saw patterns in the universe that other people aren't seeing was recently around this new book, Fanocracy, because 
what I was seeing is that the pendulum has swung too far in the direction of superficial online communications at a time when people are hungry for true human connection. And so I really wanted to dig into how do people connect? How do humans connect? And then I recognized that people who are fans of something are truly connected. And that's what led to the book Fanocracy. So, you know, my six people say David is successful because he mm -hmm. wrote that book. I, the, these books, I don't think so. I think I'm successful because I have an ability to see things before other people see them. And then I write about them. I get the idea out into the so, universe. So uh, that's another reason that I think me and other fans are looking to read the new book. I think it's clear that uh, you have this gift. David, you know, there are many factors that affect one's success, but I really believe that for each of us, there is one factor that really makes it for them. And I want to ask you, what is your one key success factor? So I think the one important thing is that When I think something is important to do, I actually <laughs> do it. <laughs> There are so many people who say to me, oh, I had that idea <laughs> too. Well, ideas, there's millions and millions of ideas out there. It takes a true entrepreneur to actually execute on an idea. Definitely agree with that. And my final question is my mountain question. Did you ever... Yes climb the mountain or wish to climb a mountain or do you have any relationships with mountains at all? I, ha I have a very important oh. relationship with some, some mountains. Um, I'm a part owner in a 12,000 acre nature preserve oh. in Panama. And this particular nature reserve um, is in one of the most important areas of ecology in the entire world. It's at the narrowest point between North and South okay. America, and it's at the narrowest point between the Atlantic Ocean and the Pacific Ocean. It's near the Panama Canal, but it's actually even narrower. And because of that, it's important for animal migration and bird migration and for all kinds of different species of animals. And so this particular area of Panama was uh, in danger of being taken over by cattle rat ranching. And so um, I got together with some friends and we bought 12,000 nice acres. Story. Yeah. We, ha we have an eco resort there and we're preserving a very, very important part of the world so that it will, re it will remain. Uh, it also is important to offset carbon footprint because wow. of global warming. I travel a lot on airplanes. I, I, I own two houses and three cars. And so I have a, a, a large carbon footprint. But the fact that I own land in a rainforest in Panama way, way more than offsets my lifetime carbon footprint, my family's lifetime <laughs> carbon footprint, even some friends' carbon footprints. So our Eco Resort is right on the Continental Divide, the mountains that separate um, the Atlantic Ocean from the Pacific Ocean. And um, in February, I got together with 10 people and we did an expedition that we think has never been done before. 
Using human power, we went from the Pacific Ocean to the Atlantic Ocean, and we did it all under human power. We started at the Pacific Ocean with our feet in the water, and then we got on mountain bikes, and we went for a two-day mountain bike ride to our resort, our our eco-resort in our rainforest. And we then stayed there for a night. And then we did a two-day hike over the mountains of the Continental Divide to the Kangandi River. And then we did a two-day kayak down the Kangandi River to the Atlantic Ocean. So using uh, human power, bike, hike, and kayak, we went ocean to ocean, Atlantic to Pacific. And so those mountains are really important because that's the um, divide between two great oceans. And it's also a place that's very important to preserve and our it's land is preserving story. it. David, what is the best way to connect with you for those listeners that will want to be in touch? And when is your book and Reiko's book going to be published? So the publication date is on January 7th, 2020, and people can reach me through my social media. I'm DM Scott, D-M-S-C-O-T-T, and uh, Allison's social media is Allison underscore Reiko. And we have a great website at www.fanocracy.com where you can learn all sorts of things about the book and we give away free content. No email address <laughs> required. <laughs> I want to thank you so much for that. We will have all oh, the links pleasure. in the show notes of this interview. But David, it has been a pleasure. I'm so excited about the new book. And thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you. It's uh, been a great conversation. Thank, thank you. you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. And for you, our listeners, until the next time, it all goes down to this. You either reach or miss. Keep reaching your goals and vision. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Reach or Miss Show, the podcast for the customer-focused entrepreneur. You can find all the information, links, and resources that was mentioned at the show in our website, reachormiss.com. See you next week.